Now, as you were given two handouts this morning, uh, one is from last week, and so it's kind of a review for uh, the, the study on uh, our beginning to study these five points of the doctrines of grace. Uh, TULIP is the acronym. And last week we began by considering total depravity. And you can see that little diagram of the three different views of man's condition that uh, I alluded to or I sought to describe in my own facial expression last week. But uh, there you have it on the paper in front of you. And uh, you can see that the one view is that, well, man's really healthy, he's really happy, he's got everything together, and uh, he's not doing too bad. So does he really need to be saved? And no, he doesn't in that, in that view, actually, which is called Pelagianism. And that, that, that will alter your view of what God does to save. Well, man doesn't really need saving, so Jesus' work is really kind of optional. Uh, the second view there of that man who looks kind of sick, but he can still take the medicine. And so he still has a power of choice. He can still do what he wants. He can still either choose to take the medicine or not to take the medicine. He needs help, and he acknowledges that he needs help, but he can take the help or leave it. Whereas in the third case, and this is what the Bible teaches, as we saw last week, man is dead in his trespasses and sins. No man can come to me, Jesus said, unless, unless, and there's that blessed unless, the Father who sent me draws him. And this is what we just sang about in that hymn, that if it were left to us, we would not have gone to the Father, we would not have gone to the Savior, but in his mercy, he drew us. And so uh, that's, that was a very quick review of what we saw last week. Now we come this morning to the U, which is the second handout you have there, of this uh, acronym TULIP. And the U referred to, refers to unconditional election. Unconditional election. And if you remember my opening um, biographical <laughs> note last week when this these things were first shared to me by a brother in college when I was a freshman back in uh, this would have been 1972 I said no that's not fair unconditional election that God would choose some and and not, that's not fair well let's consider and, and those that objection we're going to deal with, and probably won't get to the objections till next Lord's Day, but we're going to begin this morning by just considering what does this phrase, this doctrine, this teaching of unconditional election, what does it say? We're going to start out with a fact and the meaning of it. Uh, then we're going to consider the basis. What is it based on? There are two words here. Election, that's choosing. But then unconditional, those, both of those words are important. Unconditional means it's not based on a condition in us. And we're going to see those two things this morning. And I think, uh, yeah, we probably won't get to the objections this morning, but we'll see how far we go. Uh, first of all, then, election. What does election mean? Well, we're in the United States coming up to an election season, and so we know what election means. It means you get to choose who you want to be president. 
Choosing means, election means choosing one or more out of a group. And so we have candidates. And, well, I'm not going to get into politics. That's a dangerous topic. Whether you like the candidates that seem to be put forward or not, you, you get a choice um, of these candidates. I'll, I'll use another illustration. David's stones. Look at First uh, Samuel, excuse me, First Samuel 17 and verse 40. And this illustration actually was used by Pastor Martin when he spoke on this subject, I don't know how many years ago. But in 1 Samuel chapter 17, you have this young lad, David, who's going to confront the giant Goliath. And Goliath has this huge sword and he has his armor, a very formidable opponent. He has huge size also. And here's this little servant boy, as he calls him, a, a dog that comes out to him with sticks and stones. He mocks him and scorns him. But look at what David does here in chapter 17 as he prepares to meet the giant. Excuse me, I don't know where I get that. First Samuel 17 and verse 40. After uh, trying on Saul's armor, which didn't work, uh, we read verse 40, and he took his stick in his hand and chose, and the Greek word of the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament is the same word that we find used of election, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And so, he chose. There, now, there were more stones in the brook than just five. So he looked among all those stones, and he had a criterion for his choice. He wanted smooth stones. He wanted stones that would fly straight and not be diverted because they had a weird shape that would cause them to uh, perhaps swerve or uh, have a spin and uh, maybe make a slice or whatever and go off course he wanted five smooth stones and so all of, of all those stones in the brook he looked at them and he said oh, you 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 five stones he picked them out he left the others behind so he selected out of a group the ones that he wanted and of course he had a criteria there was a condition for his choice but we're going to find out with god's election it's not that you were smoother than other stones uh, or, or brighter or shinier or whatever, uh, but God had his own inscrutable will, which determined his choice. So that's the general meaning of the word election. It means to choose out of a group. Now, theologically, and here is from Burkhoff's Systematic Theology, Election is defined as that eternal act of God, whereby he in his sovereign good pleasure, and on account of no foreseen merit in them, chose a certain or chooses a certain number of men to be the recipients of special grace and of eternal salvation. And so there's the theological definition. We're going to unpack that. We're going to see this in the scriptures. We don't just take Burkhoff's word for it. Well, Burkhoff said it must be so. Uh, no, we want to see it in our Bibles. And so just a, a few uses of this word in our Bibles. We find that this word election or choosing 
is referred to especially for different things. We find that there is the type of national election of Israel, that God did choose the nation of Israel, uh, the seed of Abraham, out of all the other nations on the surface of the globe, to be his special people in the Old Testament. We find this in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6 and following. As God expresses to the Israelites, now they're on the verge of going into the promised land, and God wants them to know it's not because of any great thing in them, it's not because of they're so special that he chose them, but for what? Well, look at the verse, Deuteronomy 7, 6. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. Holy, set apart. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And so uh, here we have it stated clearly, well, it's not because they're such a great people, they're so numerous, they're going to really do God a favor by being his people. It's not that he needed them. It's not he needed a big army to do his, uh, his will and fulfill his purposes. No, it's God's mercy. Now it says he fulfilled his oath to their forefathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, why did he choose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because they were holy. Well, Abraham worshipped idols back in Ur of the Chaldees. It wasn't because of anything in Abraham. God's sovereign will. And so there's, this is the national election. We find this repeated in Acts 13, 17. Uh, where in, in this uh, early missionary journey of the Apostle Paul, the God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. With an uplifted arm, he led them out from it. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers. And here he is, you know, in his missionary journey. He starts in the synagogue, but... Why the Jews? Why the children of Abraham? Nothing in them. God's choice. And this national election, we need to note here, did not guarantee the salvation of all in Israel. This national election was not an election unto eternal salvation. How do we know that? Well, let's just take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 where the Apostle Paul reviews for the Corinthians a bit of Old Testament history and applies it to them, this uh, predominantly Gentile congregation, because there are lessons for us out of what God did with Israel. In 1 Corinthians 10, after reviewing their coming out uh, of Egypt, baptized into Moses in the cloud, ate the same spiritual food, the manna, the spiritual drink that rocked, uh, the water from the rock. Verse 5, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. With most of them. 
So having this national election being delivered from slavery in Egypt did not guarantee deliverance from slavery and sin. With most of them, God was not well pleased. And so we, we keep that as a separate thing. This national election was not the same as election unto eternal life. It was a blessing. We're not minimizing that. But it was not the same. But then we find also this word election is used of ministerial election to serve in a particular task or position. And we, so just so that we don't get confused when we read the word election in the Bible, that it always means election unto salvation, we find that this is also referred to election or being chosen for a service. The Levites in Deuteronomy 18.5, we read, For the Lord your God has chosen him, Levi, and his sons from all your tribes to stand and serve in the name of the Lord forever. So there's this ministerial choice. We find Saul, the king, was chosen. 1 Samuel 10, 24. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. He is the one the Lord has chosen. Now, of course, then we find that David was chosen. Why was David chosen? Remember Samuel going to uh, the house, household, the family, and there are the brothers, and they're all lined up, and uh, looks at them. God says, not that one. Wait a minute. He's, he's, this guy really is handsome, macho. He's built. He, he looks like the guy. And God says, no, not him. And, and then he, Samuel says, is this all of them? No, there's one more. He's out with the sheep. Well, call him in. And here's little David, ruddy in appearance. And he, God says, no, he's the one I chose. And so God chooses for kingship. God chose apostles, the Lord Jesus, Luke 6, 13. When day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them. Out of the number of disciples, he chose 12, whom he also named as apostles. So choosing for special service or task or position. And then, of course, there's messianic election. Isaiah 42, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one. And this is one of the names of Messiah, my chosen one. So Jesus was chosen. He was God's servant. This is my son, the voice came out of the cloud in Luke 9.35. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. So we find this word used in these various ways, but we're going to focus in on the use of this word, especially with regard to election unto life, individual saving election. And there are seven aspects of this. As we analyze what the Bible teaches about this doctrine of God's electing his people. First of all, it's God who does it. God is the author. Mark 13, 20. Mark 13, 20. And forgive me, I'm just, I'm, I'm reading these out of my notes. You can, you can turn there. If you'd like me to wait, I'll, I'll be happy to wait. Maybe let's do that. Mark 13, 20. I'll turn there and that'll give you the time to do it too. Mark 13, 20, because I want you to see these things in your Bibles. Now, this is that um, 
apocalyptic message, yeah, message of the Lord Jesus in the Gospels. And here he says, For those days, verse 19, will be a time of tribulation such as not occurred since the beginning of the creation which God created until now and never shall. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. It's God who elects, whom he chose. Ephesians 1.4, a very key text with regard to this doctrine of election. This is one of those ones I came across after initially objecting to my friend with his tulip uh, discussion. Uh, I came across this text. It's in my Bible. It's what God says. It's not just what Brother Joe said. It says here, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God is the author. He chose us. That's what we just sang. It's not that I did choose thee. For Lord, that could not be. No, it was God who chose us. And so that's the, the first thing that we need to note here. And, and I want to have a little time maybe at the end of our uh, session this morning. I'll try to leave some time if there are any questions. Store them up. But then this, the second thing about this doctrine of election, God choosing, is that it is individuals God elects and not just nations. Look at 1 Thessalonians 1.3. And again, you, you're shocked if you never heard this doctrine before, if you never heard or ever considered God's work of electing, of choosing his people, it's all over the scriptures. 1 Thessalonians 1.3, we read, beginning in verse 2, we give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of God, our God and Father, knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. His choice of you. It is not just some nation. It's not just some group of people, nebulous and amorphous. It's individuals. Now, how did Paul know? And this is very significant. How did Paul know that God had elected this group of people in Thessalonia, Thessalonica? Did they have a letter E? <laughs> I remember Pastor Martin using that as a, an illustration some long time ago. Did they have a letter E branded on their forehead that he looked at them and said, aha, you're elect. I see it right there. What was the evidence that the Apostle Paul could see visible discernible evidence. Well, he goes on and tells them. For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. 
just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. And so uh, there, there's evidence. It's visible. How? Well, the gospel came to them. It was just as it is here. We preach. And we look out at faces because we don't preach to, you know, I heard the advice somewhere. Well, you know, if you preach, if you're scared of looking at people, just look at the back wall. I don't get anything out of looking at the back wall. We preach to you all. People. And we see, and some are there like, and some are there like, hmm. What's the difference? For some, the gospel comes in power by the Holy Spirit and grips the heart. And the person sitting next to him is saying, yeah, when's he going to finish? Maybe that's you. You say, well, that's the way it is. No. You say, open my heart. Lord, speak to me. Don't take it for granted that it's hopeless. The word came to them in power, in the Holy Spirit, and it ended up with full conviction. That guy is telling the truth. And that sin is in my heart. That's for real. I got a real problem with it. And that Savior, he can save me. Full conviction. That's what happened. And so election that came to them individually you know it's not in our hands we parents wish we could elect our kids <laughs> we're shut up to cry to god parents kids all of us lord save individuals thirdly it's election unto salvation flip over to second thessalonians 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians 2.13. And the doctrine of election results in, in thanksgiving and praise, by the way. Not, uh, I heard the phrase last week, the chosen frozen. Uh, it doesn't result in coldness of heart, or it should not. But this is what should result. But we... All, should always give thanks to God for you, brethren beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for what? For salvation. Through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. Faith in the truth is going to result in a changed life. Salvation is tied up. It's, it's not divorced from sanctification. We give thanks to God. When the gospel comes with power, chosen for what? For salvation. You see, to be elect is a great blessing. And that's where we started back in Ephesians chapter 1. Thanks be to God who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us. It starts there. And so, friends... You know, Christians aren't to be pitied. 
Of all people on the earth, we're blessed. Because we have not just maybe some temporal blessing that lasts until the next stock market crash or whatever, or the thieves break in and steal or Ross corrupts. We have eternal blessing. We're of all people most blessed. Eternal blessing it is election unto salvation. It was done in eternity. And we saw that in Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So think about this. You know, we read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form. And so, you know, there's this mass that God created. Then he forms it and fashions it. And the rest of that creation week is making it ready for men. But before he started that, knowing he's going to create men, he has his heart set on individuals before the foundation now, I don't know, when I first began to understand this and the light came on, this was like, it blew me away. God, before he even began this massive, incredible work of creating the world and all things in it in six days, he had me, little old me, in his mind's eye. Your parents maybe talk about when they were first married and, and they say to you maybe, well, you weren't even a twinkle in your mother's eye yet. But you were a twinkle in God's eye from the foundation of the world. This is the work of election. It was under salvation. It was done in eternity. Furthermore, oh, one more verse there. 2 Timothy 1.9. 2 Timothy 1.9. So if you're in 2 Thessalonians, you just go over a couple pages. He says, Suffer, join me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. His purpose was there from all eternity. That's incredible. I mean, just stop and think about it. Where were you? You weren't here. But God knew you were going to be here from eternity past. God had it all plotted out. That day, when the gospel came to you in power, God had plotted that day from eternity past when he would soften and change your heart. It's, it's incredible. If you stop and think about it, not just, well, yeah, I've heard that doctrine. Wait, wait a minute. Put yourself in it. If you're a Christian, if you're not, you say, why not? Done in eternity. It is done in union with Christ. And in Ephesians 1, 4, there's this little phrase. It's a very common phrase in Paul's writings, especially. The phrase, in him or in Christ, we find in Ephesians 1, 4, just as he chose us in him 
before the foundation of the world. Because you see, to be elect unto salvation cannot be done divorced from a Savior. If we're going to be saved, we need a Savior. If we're going to be called to salvation, elected to salvation, it has to be in union with the only one who can save. And so again, God, it, it's mind-blowing, it's, it's, it's definitely mind-expanding to consider that before the worlds were, God had his eternal plan of salvation, this eternal counsel of redemption, and included in that was that Jesus would give himself for sinners. Isaiah chapter 53, he would give himself, surrender himself. God would reward him with the result of his suffering. But connected with him in that suffering, planned and purposed from eternity, was each one of his people. In union with Christ. Furthermore, it's done for his glory. Ephesians 1, 12 and 6 and 14. Uh, let's turn to Ephesians 1 again. We have that phrase there of in him, in Christ. But we have also this purpose clause. Why were you elect? Well, so I can have a ticket to heaven and escape hell and I can have my sin and uh, eat it too. And no, 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 no. If you're elect, if you're chosen, if you're saved, what's the purpose? Well, if you go back to verse uh, five, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good intention, good pleasure of his will, to the praise, verse six, of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse 12, to the end, with this purpose in view, that we who were the first to hope in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, who has given the Holy Spirit as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. So think about this. You're here this morning if you're saved. You've been delivered from punishment in eternity in hell. Why? So that you can breathe a sigh of relief and have a mansion in glory. Well, yeah, that's true. But the ultimate goal is that God would receive glory. I had a meeting with the young people yesterday. And among the questions that was asked, one of the answers that was given was, what, what's your purpose? Now, these young people that we met with uh, yesterday were pretty much well instructed. And so the answer came back almost unanimously. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Well, why are you here? And especially I can ask this question. Why are you here this morning? Well, I'm just, I don't got to get up out of bed and. You have a purpose. Your purpose here this morning is to glorify God, but that's your purpose every day. That we would live to the praise of his glory. Why? Redeemed how I love to proclaim it. Redeemed by the blood of the lamb. 
I have a purpose in life, and it's not to make money. It's not to have fun. It's to glorify God. And in so doing, you will enjoy him forever. Why are we saved? To the end that we should be to the praise of his glory. And then number seven here with regard to this doctrine of election, it's immutable. That means unchangeable. It's, it's fixed. When God determined, I'm going to save this guy, I'm going to save this girl, all the demons in hell can't stop him. Look at what we read in Romans 9, 11, and we'll get there in Romans eventually, uh, Lord willing. Romans 9, 11. And by the way, we'll come back to this chapter because it does talk about election being unconditional. One of the key passages. But here we read about the election of Isaac. It says, For though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose, according to his choice, according to election, might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. God's purpose, according to his choice, according to election, will stand. And who's going to say to him, no, God, I'm going to knock that purpose over. Nope, no, no, it's not going to happen, God. I'm going to stop you. <laughs> Who's going to do that? None can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? No, his purpose, according to election, will stand. We read Matthew 24, and again, uh, in the middle of that apocalyptic, that uh, section in the Gospels, this uh, discourse on the Mount of Olives where Jesus speaks of the future of the coming of the Son of Man. He says here in verse 22, and this is Matthew's version of that, unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect, those days shall be cut short. In other words, if those days went on, it would have endangered the elect, but I'm not going to let that happen. So I'm going to cut those days short because I love my elect and I'm going to preserve them. This decree of election is immutable. I'm going to make sure that they get safely to glory. So that's the first word, election. Now, look at my watch. I have 20 minutes. I want to deal with this word unconditional. Unconditional. Negatively, and we may need to keep the questions for next week, but uh, when we have the objections answered, but file them away. Negatively, this choice of God is not conditioned, not based on anything in man. Now, when I was young, of course, you know, this word election's in the Bible, and so uh, the teachers in the church in which I grew up had to deal with it somehow. And so they would say, well, if God chooses those whom he foresees are going to choose him. So God looks out in his uh, night vision glasses of what's going to happen years in the future. 
And he sees, oh, this guy, he's going to choose me. So I think I'll choose him. That's, that's the idea. Well, no, look at John 15, 16, which was the verse, by the way, at the head of the hymn, uh, above the hymn which we just sang this morning, John 15 and verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. Now, some might say, well, no, that's just about the apostles. Um, well, wait, wait a minute. Going back verse 13, or in the, in the um, well, 12, this is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Whom is Jesus loved? Just the apostles? Greater love is no one than this, that one laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. This is talking not just to the 12 as the 12, but these words refer to all of his people. It is not that you chose me, but I chose you. Acts 13, 48. Look at Acts chapter 13. Another one of those verses which was a kind of aha <laughs> moment for me when I came across it. It was like, oh, this is so plain in the Bible. How did I miss this? <clears throat> Paul, having been rejected by the Jews as he spoke the gospel first in the synagogue, and then the next Sabbath, the whole city, it seemed, came to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the crowd, this is verse 45, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. But Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, you Jews. But since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For thus the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles, that you should bring salvation to the end of the earth. One of my favorite missionary verses from the book of Isaiah. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Now, election based on a foreknowledge of faith would put it this way. As many as believed were appointed to eternal life. That's not what it says. It's putting the cart before the horse. As many as had been appointed to eternal life, when in eternity past, in this doctrine of election, they were the ones, out of all this number, there gathered in this city, of all that number, in Antioch, this is the group, that believed, the ones who were appoint, appointed to eternal life. And so, thinking that, well, yeah, the God foresaw that they would believe, so that's why he chose them. You know what, what I liken that to? Guys, young men, it's like the guy who says, okay, well, who am I going to invite to, to the special banquet of the seniors at uh, TCS? Who am I going to invite? I don't know if they do that. Uh, who am I going to invite? 
And he says, oh, well, that girl, if I ask her, she'll say yes. So he asks her. What kind of guts does this guy have? He doesn't say, well, that's the girl I like. That's the girl I am especially I see her character. I see she would water the camels and not just give me a drink. To use the illustration of Abraham's servant going over and finding Rebecca. Um, is, is, oh, is, well, she, she will probably say yes. So I'm going to choose her. Guys, that's, that's not the way to go about it. Now, maybe one factor, if you don't want to be rejected outright, and she all you know, disdains you and shows that she has no interest in you, well, that's probably not going to be a hopeful choice. But, you know, with us, that's what God does. He chooses people who disdain him even, while we were yet enemies. It's not because of foreseen faith. It's God's eternal choice. F furthermore, it's not based on good works or character. It's not like Abraham's servant saying, okay, if she waters my camels too, that's a good girl. Well, that would be based on character, which is a good thing, by the way, when you're looking for a, a, a marriage partner. Character is a good thing to look for. But look back now at Romans chapter 9 and Paul, by using these illustrations of Old Testament history, nails this point down. And I think it's far enough in the future that I'm not going to be stealing Pastor Chansky's thunder by referring to this passage in this, in this uh, context. But look at verse 6 and following. We have the first case test. Uh, we have two sons of Abraham, Isaac and Ishmael. Which one will God choose? The more we read, but it is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel, neither are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants, but through Isaac your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of the promise who are regarded as descendants. For this is a word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah will ha shall have a son. Right, so there's the first case. Was it anything good in Isaac? Well, it's just the fact that Isaac was the child of promise. Ishmael? Well, God also promised he would be the father of a multitude, but uh, the nations would come from him, but uh, he was not the child of choice. Why? Because that was God's choice. How about, and it becomes even clearer in the next case, Isaac and Jacob. Not only this, verse 10, but there was Rebekah also when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. Or you got twins. What's the difference? Uh, it seems they were not identical twins because one was hairy and one was not. But uh, all the same, they come out with the same womb at roughly the same time. Of course, one was before the other. The older did serve the younger. Uh, but at any rate... Though the twins were not yet born and had not done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose according to his choice might stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls, it was said to her, the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. Jacob, was he a good guy? Would you like Jacob for your brother? 
Hey, Jacob, I'm starving. What do you got in the pot there? I got some red stuff. You want some of this? Yeah, yeah, I'm starving. Sell me your birthright. You like that kind of brother? Really? I'm thankful I have two sisters. None of them tried to make me either, you know, buy my birthright from my older sister or sell it or whatever. No, we're cool with each other. I wouldn't want Jacob. Esau, of course, wasn't that great either, but was it because Jacob was a good guy? It's not what God says. Again, they had not done anything good or bad. It was not based on their works. But God's choice that it would stand. And so that's pretty clear. That it's not because of good works, it's not because of character, it's not because of doing good or bad. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we find this underscored again. God's, what we might call, selection criteria. For consider your calling, brethren. Of course, calling is a result of election. God calls those whom he chose. Consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh. Oh, well, this guy's got a, you know, high IQ. I'll choose him. This guy's got a PhD. Looks good. Not many wise. There are some, but not many wise according to the flesh. Not many mighty. Oh, look at that guy, pump iron. I think I'll choose him. Not many mighty. Not many noble. Oh, he comes from a good family. No. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not that he might nullify the things that are. That no man should boast before God. And by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast, well, he chose me because I'm something special. No, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What amazing grace it would save a wretch like me. Boast in the Lord. And so... We see again and again in these verses that it's not our doing. It's nothing in us. One more verse, 2 Timothy 1, 9. 2 Timothy 1, 9. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works. Well, he's done good. He's, he looks like he'll make a great addition to my choir in heaven. No, nothing in us, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. And so, negatively, it's nothing in us. Not our works, not our foreseen faith, not at all. But positively, it's according to the good pleasure of his will. Look back at Ephesians 1, a very... Key text, as you see, we return there again and again. Ephesians 1, 
And verse 5, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to, and here the, the word eudokia, translated in my version as kind intention, translated in the New King James, I like it better, good pleasure. Um, the good pleasure of his will. Why did he choose us? Because he wanted to. Because it seemed right to him. Nothing in us. It was all in him. According to the good pleasure of his will. We find this idea repeated. Uh, verse 9. According to his good pleasure which he purposed in him. Verse 11. According to his purpose who works all things according to the counsel of his will. It's all his will. As Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 11, I will just, uh, yeah, let's turn there. Matthew 11, 25 and 26. At that time, Jesus answered and, pray, and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you did hide these things from the wise and intelligent and revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. Sodom and Gomorrah, if they had heard, if they had seen the miracles, they would have repented. But Chorazin, Bethsaida, Capernaum, they did not. Why? God did not purpose. God hid it, hid these things from the wise and intelligent revealed them to babes, the babes who follow Jesus as his disciples. And so, at the end of the day, what do we say? All praise to God, who delivered me. Why me? Why me? Of all the people on the earth. It's not anything that we boast about. And a proud, if I, again, I may use the word, it's not something I often use, but a proud Calvinist, a proud believer in God's sovereign grace. That's a contradiction. Why? Was it anything in me? Absolutely not. If you know yourself, who are you? Well, go back to last week. You're the guy with the X's on the eyeballs. Not just dead, but dead in sin. Nothing in me. It's all grace to the praise of the glory of his grace. So before, we'll come back, Lord willing, next week and consider some objections. I think that's next week. Oh no, we have the consideration of the Constitution next week. Pause one week. So put it on pause. But just look at this little chart I put in your handout there, this comparison. Uh, and again, I'll use these words, not that I delight in naming names or labels, but uh, those who say, well, a man's sick, he can, but he can choose, he can do what he wants, and, and God looks upon him as an autonomous individual who has this uh, autonomous will that he can choose alternatively, either good or evil, as he, as he desires. Uh, the, they would say, well, because God foresees faith or good works, then he's going to elect them. That's the cause is what God sees in them. It's based on their choice. It's all up to them. And uh, the deciding, you know, voice is you. You got the key in your pocket. And I even heard this from a very well-known evangelist. 
God has cast his vote. He was preaching from Elijah on Mount Carmel. You know, here, here God sends the fire on this offering here. The devil casts his vote. And there are the servants of Baal dancing around. Now it's all up to you. What's your vote? That was the message. No. You don't have the vote. You're dead in trespasses and sins. If you're going to be saved... It's not that, well, maybe one day, I want, you know, I'm going to enjoy the world first. And then when I get older, we had one man in the Philippines who said to me, yeah, when I retire, th then I'll join your church. Well, he retired and got even more crusty in his sin and died in his sin. You don't have the key in your pocket. And if you're going to be saved, you have to come to God to save you. Because he can. And all who come to him, he never casts them out. And so the Arminian says, well, God will choose you if you're good. You know, you get that balance going again. No. What the Bible teaches, and you could put that in that chart as well, is that God chooses. And then they believe. And then they're sanctified. And the result is changed life and good works. Starts where? And this is the glorious thing. It starts with God. His word, his spirit, coming in power. We know he chose you, Paul said to the Thessalonians. Why? His word came to you in power. And it's our prayers, pastors, not that we can preach powerfully enough. We seek to speak as best we can, honestly. But we know it's not up to us. If you're going to be saved, it's God's going to save you. And he's going to get all the glory. And we're not going to pat ourselves in the back and say, oh, you know that sermon? I had 10 people saved that sermon. Oh, we're thankful. <laughs> but let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What a great God who can take even my sermon and save somebody. God, if you're going to be saved, it's only going to be through the power and work of God. So let's pray that as the word is preached, as it we come to hear it later, that God will. The young people will come in from the high school class and the younger classes, and they'll hear it too. And you'll all hear it, hear it also. Let's pray that God would come in power, saving power, and call to himself. That we don't know who's elect, but that we pray and I think it's okay to pray that there'll be many such here in this place and come to faith even today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do not know your eternal counsels, but we do know that you have told us that all who come to you, you will never cast them out. That the way of salvation, the way of life is to come unto you, those who are weary and heavy laden, and you will give them rest. And so we ask that you would use and own your word mightily, even as we read of this, these Thessalonians, that the word came to them in power with full conviction by the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would so work in that way today, that we might see the evidence of election by saving grace, converting power here in our midst. And 
As we study these doctrines, which are so, in a way, deep and marvelous, peering into your eternal counsels, which are beyond us, we ask that you would convince us and also show us how great you are, and that we would give all to the praise of the glory of your grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.